Well, folks, again, a very warm welcome to the Generation Podcast. Again, we are in lockdown, and so we're doing everything really uh, kind of in a roundabout way. So we're doing this over telephone and over computer and over Zoom. I suppose like me, many of you will be going to Zoom meetings and conducting lots of business over Zoom. But I've got a a guest today, and I'm very pleased to introduce Jeremy. Jeremy, hello. Good morning, David. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Greetings from the deep south, from Kent. Oh, how deep? Deep south in Kent. I don't even know where Kent is. It's so far away. Well, put it, for us, London is going north. So, you know, <laughs> we're about, yeah, I know, that, that is south. But, so about 30, 40 miles. Kent's the Garden of England, so full of apple orchards um, and, uh, yeah, a beautiful area. Okay, Jeremy, it's great to have you on board. And Jeremy is is known for various things. He's professionally, he was and indeed is a banker. Um, but he's authored a, a book that's just fairly recently come out called Living with the Big C. Uh, Jeremy, I'm assuming the, the Big C is not coronavirus. Yes, that's right, David, although it was a brilliant title. Because, uh, yeah, Beyond, Beyond the Big C is, is about cancer, but it works for coronavirus as well. Even more so, the subtitle of the book is Hope in the Face of Death. And it just came out. You can get it from 10 of those. And uh, it's my story about living with cancer. And it's a book designed to give away. Lots of Christian books are for Christians. This is for non-Christians. It's a short book. And, um, yeah, I hope God uses it for his glory. Okay. It's called Beyond the Big Sea. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Tell, us, tell, us, tell us your story, Jeremy. Uh, a lot of our listeners will be really interested to know um, just, just from the beginning. Sure. So I grew up in, you couldn't imagine a more godly home. My father may be known to some of your older listeners. His name was John Marshall. He was a trustee of the banner. He used to preach in Scotland all the time. And when we were kids, we used to do one of two things. We either would go on holiday to Scurry in Sutherland, or we would go Bible smuggling behind the Iron Curtain. I assume that's what most of your listeners did on their summer holidays. Yeah, well, there's, no, there's not much difference between Scurry and the Iron Curtain, but carry on. <laughs> Thank you. So um, I, I, was, I used to drive my father nuts, I'm afraid, like a lot of um, ministers' sons, and um, several times you know, got thrown out from the pulpit for fooling around in church with, with dire consequences when dad came home. But, you know, despite being a, a, a rebel and a sinner like all of us, I, I became a Christian as a teenager. And um, I've got three sisters. Everybody said, uh, and my father was in the same church for just under 50 years. Everybody said, oh, you'll, you'll take over from your father. But I'm afraid uh, that wasn't a, what I thought I wanted to do and be maybe more relevantly, what God, I think, wanted me to do. So I regret to say I went into, of all things, banking. And um, I I worked for for various banks all over the world. But my last job, which was a fantastic one, was um, chief executive of a family-owned private bank in London. It's a 350-year-old bank called Seahore & Co., still owned by the Hall family. Mm -hmm. It's one of these sort of amazing uh, things that have survived. It's on the 12th generation of family ownership. and so I, I was so happy. I'm involved in a, in a local church here in Sevenoaks. You'll be pleased to hear, David, that our minister is a proud Scot, Angus Maclay. Yes, we, we know and love Angus. Him. Yep, yep. The, the man with the most Scottish name and the most English accent you will ever hear. I think it's a solemn warning, isn't it, not to spend too long south of the border. <laughs> Absolutely. 
So how you how and, you, um, can can I move back just slightly? So slightly, can you tell us how you came to faith? Um, what were the circumstances? Yeah, I, I, my father was a very very strong character. He um, every every Saturday he used to stand up in the marketplace in Elmhurst Hempstead, and we were expected to be a sort of renter crowd. So yeah, being a rebel, being a sinner, I I didn't like that. And I thought church was pretty boring, to be honest. And my father's idea of a short sermon was was an hour. So we would have him three times on Sunday. Yeah. So it was a clash of wills. But as you became a Christian, I would say, completely independent of my father. And I can't describe it any more than this, than like pieces of a jigsaw. Suddenly, it all clicked into place. And I realized it was true that Jesus was really the son of God. And I could know him now. So, yeah, God's merciful, isn't he? Even to rebellious sons of the manse. So, yeah, I would say, why did I become a Christian? Because I realized it was true. Did some, at that point, did you just start thinking or did someone else <coughs> speak to you about the gospel? What was, what struck me, and the other day um, I was preaching in a church, David, uh, online. And there's a World War II veteran who was in my father's congregation. He's now in this other church. He's in his mid-90s uh, called Lionel Morgan. And he and a few other people of that also of kind of World War II um, age, they were so kind to me when I, was a, when I was a lad because I was a bit of a rebel. And they were just really friendly. And I think that's a really godly thing to do. What can we do for young people in our church who maybe don't like being there. And mm -hmm. I used to think, I used to say to my father, just wait till I'm 18 and I'm going to do what I like. Mm -hmm. But the thing that made the impression on me was, was not just the stuff from the pulpit. It was how kind and compassionate, ordinary, I use that word in a positive way, normal Christians were in the congregation. So that, that made a big difference on me. Mm -hmm. So you found yourself in banking and life was going really, really well. <clears throat> What's the next chapter? Yeah, so one day, David, seven years ago, I felt a tiny lump on my ribs in the shower. And I went to the GP who said, oh, it's nothing to worry about, just a fatty lump. But then eventually, and maybe some of your listeners have been through that, you get referred from person to person. In the end, I ended up at the Royal Marsden, which only does one thing, cancer. And they said, you've got this really rare type of cancer called a sarcoma, which is cancer of the muscle tissue. But we've caught it early. And I went through various treatments. And then for about two years, until 2015, everything seemed fine. And then 2015, um, I was at a friend's house uh, having dinner. And uh, I went to adjust my collar. And as I did that, I felt this massive lump on my collarbone, not like a tiny pea, like a golf ball. Mm. And within three or four seconds, my life changed forever because I knew what it was. I said, I'm sorry, I feel ill. I have to go home. I told my wife. We went back to the hospital. They ran checks. Then a few days later, I was sitting in the um, waiting room. The nurse said, please come through. And there was about a 20 meters corridor. And she said, I'm really, really sorry. And uh, that was all the warning I had because when I got into the room, there were lots of people there. And they said, we don't know quite know how we missed it or how it happened, but you've got tumors everywhere. And uh, it's inoperable. It's incurable. And obviously, the next question you ask is, well, how long have I got? And they said, uh, 18 months. So, 
yeah, I burst into tears. And I have written my story because mm-hmm. I want to share with our non-Christian friends, but I'm not some kind of super Christian or amazing person who's not afraid of, of dying. No, I, I'm, it, it's hard to go through cancer. What I've been through in the last five years is um, I've had about a dozen operations. I've also had big problems with my eyes. I lost the sight in both eyes. Uh, as I mentioned, I've got three sisters. One of them said she would walk me by the arm to uh, the hospital if I had a bad saying, it's my brother, not my husband, which I thought was charming. <laughs> sisters um, I've had 24 chemo. I've had radiotherapy. I've had experimental treatment. Thank God I'm not in chemo now. Um, in fact, I was due to probably restart and my oncologist just emailed me this morning saying we need to postpone because it's too risky. So what, what I talk about in the book is, yeah, living with fear. For example, we're all nervous now if people cough or sneeze near us, but I've always been nervous for the last five years. And um, I've always, uh, yeah, had this fear that something is, you know, I'm going to get some, some bug. I've been in hospital because my immune system's been down. But David, I believe this was God's providence, that this was God at work, because now I have just amazing opportunities to, to, to share my faith. And what I love to talk about is hope in the face of death and that living with the threat of death. We Christians have something absolutely amazing, which is hope. And David, for your listeners, I believe we, we, this is the gospel hour. This is the hour when we have an amazing opportunity now we have to do it in a loving way not opportunistic but we have something incredible that people i believe are more interested in and attracted to than at any period maybe since the second world war so yeah god is at work and i believe he's used my suffering and my illness to 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 reach others at least i hope so yeah i mean it seems that you know now you're uh unintentional to use a kind of buzzword evangelist were you much of a personal evangelist before the cancer no, no. I mean, I was a, I was a committed Christian, um, sure. and I, I used to invite people to events. But that's uh, what I found is just utterly transformative. Is um, something called the Word One to One, which some of your listeners yeah, may I'm have. very familiar with it. Yeah, there's a guy in Glasgow called Mark Campbell who's available to help people on it. So a friend of mine, when I first got ill with cancer, he he encouraged me. And um, what it is, is very simple. It's John's gospel with notes. And um, I have three questions, and I've kind of refined this over time. And it works online as well. You can, the notes are available online. They're on the word one-to-one. That's number one, number two, number one. And they're free. Um, I have three questions to my, to my friends. And, and I, no, I wasn't a good evangelist before. I feel, in fact, God's given me a big kick. Get on with it. You know, we must work while it's day because the night comes when no one can work. So these are my three questions. Um, first of all, I say to people, and now is a wonderful time to ask this question. Do you mind me asking, do you have any particular beliefs? Everybody has some beliefs. Do you mind me asking if you have any particular beliefs? And then when people say what their beliefs are, which are usually incredibly jumbled and mixed up, don't contradict them. Don't say, well, that's wrong or the Bible says this. Just say, oh, that's interesting. Just uh, uh, what one tip I would have is um, ask people questions that you want to uh, have them ask you back. Mm-hmm. Ask a question that you would love them to ask you. Then my second question is, did you ever look at the Bible? And at least for people under 50 or even 60, the answer in, in London, maybe it's different in Scotland, is no. People's mm-hmm. Bible knowledge is zero, zero. They know nothing. 
But in a strange way, that's a good thing because it means they, they're open. They're, they're like they're unvaccinated, if you like. And then my third question is, would you like to have a chat with me about the Bible? Now, it is effectively a Bible study, but that sounds like an exam, so a chat. And then we sit together, or it, that, this is pre-virus, or now we... we you used to sit in a coffee shop, but not anymore. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. And um, we just have a, a, a friendly chat for a small amount of time, 20 minutes or so. Just l- let the word do its work. I give people a two-minute introduction. I just explain who John the Evangelist was, that, that he was an eyewitness of Jesus' life. People have no idea what a gospel is or anything. And I'm making one point that Jesus really existed. Because according to a recent survey, which is terrible, 50%, 50% of people in the UK thought Jesus either never existed or is a mythical person like Robin Hood who maybe existed and maybe not. And then I just say, please turn to you know John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and so on. Read it to yourself, not out loud, but in a business context, you never get someone to read your presentation out loud. Mm -hmm. And then I say, please read the the questions and answers. And then have you got any questions? And it's as simple as that. Okay, I think a lot of our readers will be interested. I've done the training for that. Mark was through in Edinburgh. He did some training. So it is, uh, remind me again what the website is called. Yeah, the word. So T H E W O R D, and then the letter, the numbers one two one. Okay. Once this podcast is over, I want folk to look that up in, in the net. So fear, John. A lot of folk would say that a Christian should not have fear, and yet in these early days, maybe even now, you had fear. Is that the case? Yeah. By the way, the most I think it's human to have fear, mm-hmm. and one thing. David, I find amazing is that the Lord Jesus was afraid in Gethsemane. He said, Father, take this cup away from me, but let not my my will, but your will be done. So I don't think being afraid is a sin. In fact, having no fear would be dangerous, right? A toddler runs into the road because he's not afraid, as it should be, of being run over by a car. Mm-hmm. So what I find amazing is that the most common command from the Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, to us feeble humans in the Bible is don't be afraid. And Jesus' most common command to his disciples is the same, don't be afraid. And what I find so helpful in fear is the word of God. And a story that I absolutely love and I, I've shared many times now in the last few weeks with non-Christians is Jesus in the storm. Because it's a very simple story, right? Jesus is asleep. God may appear to be asleep now. Of course, he's not. So what do we need to do? We need to do first what the disciples do last, which is to ask him for help. So that's what what I do when I am afraid. And I'm afraid. I'm not afraid of so much death. I'm afraid of dying. And I'm especially afraid of dying now because you have a kind of idealized view of death in a hospice, you know, drifting away, surrounded by your loving family, that's hardly going to be the case, is it, now? You're going to be on your own, and, um, yeah, it's going, to be, it's going to be grim. So de- death, the Bible says, is the final enemy, but thanks be to God, we have one who conquers death. And um, I think also, David, we should be honest about our feelings as Christians. I think sometimes we feel we have to put on a kind of, you know, maybe this is an English, not a Scottish thing, a stiff upper lip, right? Yeah, yeah everything is great. I'm going from glory, you know, victory to victory. That's not the picture I read in the Bible at all. 
Can, can I ask you a little bit about the healing movement? You know, that's big just now. A lot of folk, you know, claim that healing is the thing. Um, have you come across well-meaning people who have maybe claimed, yeah, yeah Jeremy, you, you will be well? A any thoughts of that? Yeah, absolutely. I've had that. I've also had, which is even worse, people saying you need to claim your healing if you don't basically implying it's your own fault. Yeah. Well, you know, that's that's not what the Bible teaches. Absolutely not. And I, I think the kind of health and wealth movement has has a wrong understanding of the Bible, because, first of all, suffering can be redemptive. It can be used by God to, to show his glory out. And a, a great story to illustrate that would be Lazarus. So Jesus is sent a message from the sisters, the one who you love is sick. And he deliberately waits. He deliberately waits until he dies. Why? And the disciples are baffled. Like, what's going on, they say? It's because this will be for the glory of God. So our suffering can be redemptive. The idea, if, if we just click our fingers, that God will remove everything, or if we pray God will automatically heal us. That's that's not in the Bible. And I think the greatest example to which we must always go is the cross, because the cross is the ultimate suffering, but it's also the ultimate redemption. And as the master, so the servant. Um, so, yeah, people do say um, do, do say strange things. I, I've done a lot. In a, a, as I said, I'm a kind of accidental evangelist. And, um, yeah, the, when I do evangelistic events pre-coronavirus, um, yeah, I always love to have questions. And the only questions that I get that you kind of mentally roll your eyes when you get them are from Christians along these lines. Non-Christians, interestingly enough, don't usually ask me that. So, yeah, God God can do what he likes. So we, we can't restrict God. And, by the way, I'm still alive when I should humanly be dead. <laughs> so that is, in a way, a miracle. But, yeah, can we expect God? No, God is so much bigger than our agenda. He's so much bigger. Our, our problem is that our vision of God is much too small. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you've been in, you've been living with cancer now for what five years. Um, five years ago, they said eighteen months. You know, God in His sovereignty has spared you more than that. Have you any sense of why that's the case? Ultimately, David, I I don't know. I, I don't know why God gave me cancer in the first place. I maybe have some idea or, or why I'm still alive. Um, and uh, there I would go to the book of Job, because Job is part of, of a much, much bigger story, yeah. an infinitely bigger story as the possible imagination to conceive. I like to think that when Job eventually died full of years, he met God and God said to him, you know, Job, you're always complaining that if only my words were written down in a book. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, actually, funny enough, that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. So Job is within the story. Now, we're without the story, so we can see the big picture. But in that sense, we're all Job. And we will only, I think, and I will only know the big picture of what God is doing when we meet him. But we have a big advantage on Job. We have something that's amazing because Job is looking for someone and he doesn't quite know who he's looking for. He's looking for an advocate, a representative. And we have that person. We have also a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, the Lord. And um, he's such a comfort. And he, he brings us his presence, which was something Job sensed was there, but he didn't know it about it explicitly. And we now, we're living in the new covenant, we we do. So, yeah, I, I, I don't really understand. Although 
I guess, David, it's kind of obvious that, yeah, to, to, to be able to share my story. And that, uh, cancer is a wonderful, it's my secret weapon. <laughs> <laughs> are you, are because you, it's very hard for people. Are, are, you, are you finding an openness to the gospel amongst the folk that you mix with? Or are people cold and shy and embarrassed to talk about faith? Well, even before coronavirus, I had so many opportunities and, yeah, just to talk about cancer and to talk about hope in the face of death and, and to share just very simply. And to your listeners, maybe we're not all called to be pastors or evangelists, but this we can say, I couldn't get through X without Jesus. Now, X for me is cancer, but for you, it could be coronavirus, it could be depression, it could be anything. And just that simple testimony, I think that's that's very powerful. Now, I believe... David, people are far more open than we think on average, far more. Not everybody, but some people are, are really open. I mean, I, I, I've had to stop now, obviously, but before coronavirus, I had about 15 to 20 people I was doing the word one-to-one with. And I pretty much invited everybody indiscriminately, would you like to have a chat with me about the Bible? I always do it one-on-one because there's a group pressure not to do it. And quite a few people say no, but nobody's ever ever minded. Some people who said no came back to me a year or two later and said, remember those notes you showed to me? Would you like to, you know, could we have a chat about them? <clears throat> so, and now, David, in the last few weeks, boy, no. I mean, we, we, we had lined up in the city of London pre-Easter a kind of series of mission events in insurance companies, banks law firms. And you would think these firms would be very antagonistic to the Christian gospel. Not at all. They've all gone ahead and we've added new ones. If I'm doing about one a day and I just do, you know, I do my story of cancer. I talk about some tips of living with cancer, you know, being thankful, all that stuff. And then I just share the Christian faith really simply in say five, 10 minutes. I I often base it around Bible stories. For example, the widow of Nain, I love. And then I throw it open to questions. I, I did one yesterday with one of the biggest banks in the world and one of the biggest law firms. We had like 100 people on it, far more than we would have expected to get in person. Now, I believe God is powerfully at work in the coronavirus. And I think some of our friends are, are open. They, they won't necessarily admit it, but we don't know until we, we try the door. Now, uh, here's, a, here's, here's a, a kind of tough question in a sense. If you were to have your life again, <laughs> would it be the Jeremy with cancer or the Jeremy without cancer? Yeah, that's a great question. Somebody asked me that a few few weeks ago. Mm. Humanly, of course, it's obvious, right? It would be yeah. Jeremy without cancer. The, the, the hardest thing is the impact it has on your family. Yeah, To have to go home from the hospital and then go around the UK, our children are at St Andrews, Lancaster and Manchester University, and tell them that was really, really, really hard. But spiritually, of course, with, because because it's my secret weapon, because it's really hard to critique someone with cancer. And also people are sort of intrigued, I think. They're sort of intrigued, what, what's it like? And how can you how can you feel like that? And what I love, if I had to sum up the Christian faith in one word, I'd sum up in this hope, hope. And that's what we have now. We have hope. A lot of our friends are hopeless. And um, I think of a story of John Lennox, who some of you will know, a professor at Oxford. He was on a train recently coming back. 
and um, sitting opposite him was another professor who recognized him. And he said, oh, it's Professor Lennox, isn't it? He said, oh, yes. And the other professor said, what are you reading? Lennox said, oh, I'm reading the Bible. And the man laughed scornfully. The Bible? What do you want to read that for? Lennox said, oh, it gives me hope. Then Lennox said to the other professor, how about you? Do you have hope? And the man laughed and said, oh, I hope everything works out for the best. This was probably pre-coronavirus. <laughs> and uh, Lennox looked him in the eye and said, no, I don't mean that. I mean, do you have personal hope? And the man said, no, none whatsoever. Mm. So, yeah, what, what I find amazing, David, but that's not just me, that's we all have, is we, we have hope. And the hope is in a person. It's in Jesus Christ who conquered death. And if you like, the, the, the lights are going out in our world because things are becoming dark and lots of people are having to stop doing things or they're worried about running money. It's Night is falling, if you like. But when the night comes, then the lights shine all the stronger. And there's a wonderful, attractive, glorious light pouring out from the Lord Jesus. And what's amazing is he pours that light in different ways, but especially through local churches and through ordinary Christians. Isn't that amazing? So, yeah, I, I think now, as I said, now I believe it's the gospel hour. Yes, because folk can have, you know, thoughts about apologetics and people can talk about the problem of evil and theodicy, the nature of God and all that. There is a sense, though, that, you know, folk can argue with that. Folk can bring in the big philosophers. But if you're, you know, in a railway carriage telling your story and the problem of suffering is encapsulated within your life, it is more difficult for them, isn't it, to critique what is essentially your story? Yeah, and I mean, that's the most common question I get asked. If there is a loving God, how can he allow coronavirus? And dare I say, I don't have a full, you know, fully-fledged philosophical answer. I have a person, and that person suffered. Mm-hmm. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, only a suffering God can help us. Mm-hmm. And that is staggering. That is just a staggering claim that the eternal God, who made the whole universe and everything in it, became a human being and suffered. And suffered yeah. unjustly. We, we, in a sense, suffer justly because we're in a sinful world. But he suffered unjustly, the just for the unjust. You know, there's a wonderful Bible verse, here in his love, not that God loved us, not, not that we love God, but that God loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Yeah. Now, the, the last few weeks... Um, your life, like mine, our diaries have just evaporated, and you know, suddenly we've got to reschedule. Suddenly, you know, we've got a lot of time on our hands. Presumably, you'd a lot of speaking engagements, preaching. Was were you disappointed that a lot of these have evaporated in the face of COVID nineteen? No, I've had far more, David. Yeah. <laughs> had my wife's getting annoyed with me. She said, there are some important things to be done around the house. Can't be on the Zoom all day. <laughs> no, I've, I've basically had one a day. And I'm happy if anybody wants me to do a, a Zoom call. I love doing it. Uh, I just tell my story and then talk about the Lord, talk about the widow of Nain, talk about Lazarus, talk about Jesus in Gethsemane, talk about the road to Emmaus, just simply for, say, 15 minutes. And then I throw it open to questions. And that, in my view, is the best time. Um, and people have amazing questions often. Yeah, the one yesterday, I mean, some of the questions are, you think the person asking that question is really thinking, otherwise you wouldn't ask a question like that. 
Yeah. Now, <clears throat> life life goes on. Um, you know, it's a day at a time when folk who suffer from cancer often spoke to me. I, I would use that phrase, you know, one day at a time. You know, today, Jeremy, you you are well. You're 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 talking with me today is is a good day. Presumably, you're also getting on with life. You are a banker by profession. I understand that you've you've kept that going in a fairly unusual way. Tell us a bit about Kingdom Bank. Yeah, thanks, David. Yeah, I've got to get this line in. So today I'm buying a bank. <laughs> <laughs> There's no monopoly, no. Great. A real bank. So, yeah, 31st of March um, at lunchtime, we'll, we'll complete the acquisition of uh, Kingdom Bank. Now, Kingdom Bank is a bank, a Christian bank. Its goal is the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. How, how amazing is that? I bet most of your listeners don't even know such a bank exists, but mm. it's been around. 60 years. It's owned by the Assemblies of God, who are a lovely, faithful Pentecostal denomination. But they've sort of reached the end of the road, and they put it up about two years ago for sale. And it might have easily been sold to a completely non-Christian group who would have shut down the bank and just kept the banking license. So um, a group of us, um, the main investor is a Stewardship, which is a big Christian charity, which I'm a trustee, 115 years old, set up by the brethren, people like John Lang, to, to further church growth in the UK. And um, they have 35%. And then there's a small group of Christian philanthropists, of which I'm one, who have bought the rest. Now, what does Kingdom Bank do? It lends money to churches. And there's a fantastic opportunity. I have a blog, and I wrote an article about um, Aberdeen. Half of the Church of Scotland buildings in Aberdeen are for sale. and um, I'm afraid that's what happens to liberalism, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, it ends in cul-de-sac because if you don't believe the gospel, you end up with nobody. And um, friends of mine like David Gibson and others in Aberdeen and indeed all over Scotland are looking to buy buildings, sometimes a traditional you know, Church of Scotland one, but sometimes other things, sometimes um, community centres. And um, yeah, Kingdom Bank is very active in doing that. It's been constrained by its lack of capital so one of the things we're going to do is to put a lot more capital into the bank to allow it to do more. It also hasn't been very active in Scotland, um, but we plan. I, I, I see the biggest single opportunity to, to do loans for churches in Scotland. I've been talking to people like my friend William McKenzie of Christian Focus and others, and uh, we have a lot of inquiries and, and room to, to do more. Now, to, to make loans, you need deposits because... Um, if you think of Kingdom Bank, it's like a Christian building society. You, you, you put in your savings and the savings are turned into church buildings and, and church projects, sometimes also manses as well for church mm -hmm. work. And um, the government has a financial service compensation scheme, which means all deposits up to £85,000 are guaranteed fully, 100% by the government. And Kingdom Bank is a normal bank, same as anything else. So, yeah, I also and I have a conflict of interest here, of course, as I'm about to become a shareholder, although we, we're not going to take any profits. We want to pour all the profits back in and grow the bank. But yeah, if anybody has even a small amount, 500, 1,000, we, we pay, I think, good rates of interest, then uh, we can use those deposits and turn them, into, uh, turn them into churches. So yeah, I think that's a really exciting thing. And uh, south of the border, there's, um, yeah, obviously of some of the, especially the Church of England and others, there are big problems and tensions going on. But I see a lot of gospel work going on. In in London, for example, some of your listeners may have heard of this, there's something called co-mission, mm -hmm. which is um, 
a church planting organization, very evangelical. And they planted, yeah, 40, 50 churches over the last 10, 15 years. And some of those churches have become very large and done other church plants. And um, people like that, we want to get behind and back. Uh, but not just big movements. Also, yeah, churches like my dad's old church, you know, a church with maybe 60, 70 people who maybe wants to, for example, hire a youth worker or an assistant pastor or a women's worker, and they need somewhere for them to live. And that, that that's quite difficult to get if you go to a bank, especially now, but even six months ago and say, well, I'd like a loan and I'm going to pay you the loan back because people in my church are going to give me money. They'll say, thanks very much, next. So uh, <laughs> that's the kind of market we're um, we're looking to serve. Um, yeah, because, bank- yeah, I mean, this is a Generation podcast, the um, Generation of Free Church of Scotland. We are aiming to plant 30 new churches by 2030. And one of the main tourniquets, one of the main barriers to growth is just, just capital sometimes to buy premises. Uh, we're also finding that as the world changes, people are less willing to rent space to Christians. And so it's becoming more and more practical to own your own property. So, you know, a place like Kingdom Bank is really useful. Thank you. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about about heaven or, or the new heavens and the new earth. <clears throat> Do you find yourself thinking much about that or are you too busy just now um, with other things? I'm, I'm more too busy, I guess. Maybe, maybe the answer is, David, I'm too, too busy. Maybe I should be thinking more about it. But um, uh, yeah, the thing I look forward to in heaven is seeing the Lord face to face. That's that, uh, the Bible actually. I know there's things in Revelation, but yeah, what will heaven be like? There's all kinds of amazing things, but most of all, we, it'll be about a person. It'll be about, yeah, knowing God face to face, but it'll be about, above all, seeing the Lord Jesus, and that will be incredible. Yeah. But in the meantime, my, my Bible verse is um, we must work while it's day because the night comes when no one can work, yeah. and the night is death. Um, and death is coming for us all, right? Sorry to be on a, end on a cheery note, but it's kind of obvious, right? Yeah. Benjamin Franklin said you can avoid everything in life except death and taxes. Having worked in private banking, that's not altogether true, but you can't avoid death. <laughs> nor can, nor as, long, as long as you avoid them and not evade them, we're, we're okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. So, so um, yeah, so I, I feel... Heaven will be amazing, but it'll be too late to share our faith. So let, let's do it now while we can. Yeah. Jeremy, you, I think our listeners will be interested. How's, how's your health these days? Or do you get a bit of tiredness or, or is it quite good? Yeah, it, it's quite good. This is God's timing. I mean, what I typically did over the last five years, David, was I did chemo for about six months, which is very, very innovating. All your hair falls out. You're very tired. I can hardly walk up the hill sometimes from the station to my house. I just sit on a wall. Although I'm, I'm 56, I'm reasonably fit. But then I, I stopped doing chemo and I, I feel better after a month or so. But thank God, and this is again God's kindness, I haven't done chemo now for a year. And in fact, my oncologist was just in touch this morning because I was due a scan. I was probably going to start um, in, a, in a couple of weeks. Um, because I haven't done it for so long because when I do chemo the tumors shrink when I stop they start growing but he said look it's just too risky now 
would, do you mind if we put you off for two months? I said, no, no, that's fine. Yeah, I guess I can tolerate that. So, um, yeah, so I'm, 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 I'm fine. Um, and I just, I just feel so grateful. I feel so grateful to God. Every day I'm so grateful to be alive. I'm grateful I haven't got coronavirus. I'm just, I'm just so grateful. And God is so good. I, I, I can't put it more strongly. Jeremy, just in the final few uh, seconds and minutes of, of our chat here, um, if you were just to, you know, there'll be predominantly our listeners will be believers. There will be other folk who are not quite there yet. Um, can you just give a word for both groups of people as we conclude? Yeah. For, so for the Christian, I would say, look at, the, look at Jesus in the storm. Jesus makes his disciples go through fear and, and terror of death. Why? Because he wants them to know him more. So God is in control and he allows us to go through very difficult times because he wants us to know him more. And what does he promise? I'll never leave you or forsake you. Look, I'm, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. And yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. So what does God promise us? He promises us his presence. And how do we experience that? Through his word. And then if you're listening and you're not a Christian or you're not sure, what, what I'm offering you, friends, is not about me. I'm just a perfectly ordinary, sinful banker of all things. <laughs> it's Jesus' promise. I am the resurrection and the life. That's what he said. He was confronted by two grieving sisters who were afraid and sad in the face of death. And he didn't give them a philosophical answer. He said, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. And that's what we as Christians believe, that Jesus really rose again. We're going to remember that at Easter. Christianity, friends, stands or falls on this. On the morning of Easter Sunday, 34, 35 AD, did what the eyewitness accounts say actually happened to jesus come back from the dead i believe with all my heart he did and if he did that changes everything that means we have hope in the face of death and why wouldn't you want that why wouldn't you want eternal life the the, the, the alternative is eternal death the bible talks of a second death which is separation from god because it's given the bible says humans wants to die and after that the judgment each one of us will meet god but this is not the day of judgment. This is the gospel day. And God invites you to believe in his son. And um, the, the Financial Times the other day had an article about coping with uh, coronavirus. And the lady who was a therapist said, what this has exposed is that there is no savior. There's certainly no savior in our governments. Yeah, that was that. Julia Samuel. Yeah, there That's is right. no one who knows, no one to sort it out. There is no savior. Yeah. So the Christian claim is there is a saviour and his name is Jesus Christ. Jeremy, thank you so much for being candid with us. We wish you every blessing and your continued uh, health issues. And we are thankful to God for what you're doing. So you just keep on keeping on and keep on speaking. Thank you. Bless you. Thanks so much for having me on your show, David.